Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Casey. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Scores of the highest scores across the country. Welcome back. Just <laughs> I'm Kendrick Regan. That is Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, it's Kevin Gardner, isn't it? It is. And uh, Casey got to sit down with him and chat about his career, about 12 Gauge Comics, about the Kickstarter they got going on right now, which you'll hear about them talk about in details. And uh, and at the end of it, uh, him and Casey decided they're going to meet up and get a beer because they're both they're both from the Bama. So as Casey says, the Bama, the Bama. The Bama. Bam! Roll tight. So, does Kevin know that he's going to be getting a beer with the 2007 Moon Pie Eating Champion? I don't know, but we should we should we should definitely tell him that Casey is the 2007 Moon Pie Eating Champion. So, of Alabama, like of state Alabama. champion. Like this is real, folks. Like it's full real. on. Yeah, I found the article. It's, it's listed on his profile on our, on our website. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's listed, so you know it's true. Yeah, it's, it's on the internet. It's legit. <laughs> the, I don't remember what episode it is, but there's an episode where Casey explains it, and I'm crying. I am laughing so hard. It's, it's the Jerry Conway Part Two intro. Oh God, he's so it's so funny. It's I so urge much everybody funny. to go, go there, check that out, and listen yeah. to it. But before you do that, why don't we listen to Casey and Kevin? All right, everybody, welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country. Today on the show, we have, well, he is the head honcho over at 12 Gauge Comics. His name is Kevin Gardner. Kevin, how you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Dude, uh, so I've wanted to have you on for a while. You produce a ton of comics that are super good quality, really good comics. And then I find out that you're from Birmingham. Holy crap. Like yeah. I, so, so, <laughs> so crazy for for real. So, my my partners on this podcast, they can throw a rock out their window and hit a comics artist or an indie comic creator or something. In Birmingham, it is a desert of comic talent, and or so I thought. And now here you are. So, tell me about yourself, man. Yeah, well, uh, you're very right about our area. There's not a lot of comic pros that settle here. You have to drive over to Atlanta, for sure, <laughs> to, to run into some. And there are plenty over there. But yeah, I grew up in the Birmingham area, born and raised, went to Auburn back, really show my age, fall of 89. And while I was in school at Auburn, I mean, I was grew up as a comic book fan as a kid. I learned to read. Uh, the first thing I wanted to read was a comic book. I was sick at home. I was little. I don't remember, five years old, six years old, something, you know, but it was kindergarten. 
And my dad brought me home a stack of comic books from the uh, gas station or whatever. He stopped to give me some candy and grabbed a couple of comic books. And there was like an old Spider-Man reprint. I didn't know at the time. It was the death of Captain Stacy issue. And oh, wow. The first comic I ever looked at. And there was a Batman comic where Batman and the Joker were, were riding this roller coaster, fighting in a roller coaster car on top of the roller coaster. And I was just blown away as a kid. It was just like opened up this. I wanted to learn to read. I, mean, I drove my mother crazy because she couldn't stand comics and she would have to read it to me over and over again. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was what I got my first taste of comics and just got obsessed with it. And, you know, then grew out of it probably around middle school. And but when I went to college, the Batman movie had just opened up the 89, you know, Michael Keaton movie. And that really, oh, yeah. you know, and, and there weren't any comic book stores in where I lived. I was in south of Birmingham in Shelby County. And, you know, there weren't any comic shops. You just went to the grocery store or the gas stations. That was about, you know, pretty much it for, for finding comics. So you never know what you were going to get. But, you know, so I went to, to college and there was a comic shop right downtown Auburn. Wasn't a very good comic book shop, but that's where I discovered like the Dark Knight Returns and all these. I'm like, whoa, I had no idea this kind of stuff existed. So really rekindled uh, my love for comics. And when I was getting ready to graduate, comics had really kind of blown up there in the early 90s. And I ended up uh, had a friend in Birmingham that had a two comics stores called the Comic Strip. And one of the first comic first comic shop I ever went to. Yeah, I mean, it was great. (laughs) There was a little one in Pelham and then one over in Mountain Brook. And so I would come up and visit, you know, family on the weekends and just go to the stores and, you know, just they had all kinds of great stuff. And I kept telling the guy that owned it, I'm like, you really need to open one of these in Auburn. And he's like, well, I'm an Alabama fan. I'm not opening a store in Auburn, but uh, (laughs) I'll help you open a store. So that's how I kind of got into the the business side of it. And really, yeah. So I had the comic strip in Auburn that opened in uh, May of 93. So I started going to school. I was getting close to graduating, you know, like within you know, I don't know, another, we were on the quarter system back then. So, but I went to start going to school part-time, opened up the shop and man, it was just amazing time. The comics, the the boom was kind of ending, but it was still a great run. We had the the rebirth of Superman, uh, Batman breaking his back, you know, against Bane, all those kind of events. And we we would host, you know, lots of wild, you know, midnight launch parties and stuff. It was a, it was a really good time. And and through that, I met a lot of oh, it's Dragon Con, I think maybe summer of '93, and met Adam Hughes, who was not a huge name at the time, but he was one of my favorite artists. And invited him down to do a comic book shine, uh, you know, store signing at my shop. And that led to meeting Cully Hamner, and Brian Stelfreeze, Dave Johnson. Tony Harris, Jason Pearson. I mean, just the all the great, amazing talent that came out of Gaijin Studios out of Atlanta. And then around 95, I got hired to work for Valiant and moved to moved up to New York. You know, got into the was a direct sales manager, which at the time meant working conventions and retail relations with the retailers. And that, of course, there was a huge, you know, that, Valiant was massive, like the three or four number, three or four publisher at the time in, in, in the US. So I really got a taste for publishing. And then unfortunately the kind of the, the crash happened pretty hard. And you know, I got to see the I was right there when Marvel opened up Heroes World and destroyed the distribution system. Ooh. And it, uh, that had to have been a bad day. That well, it was funny. I was actually supposed to be flying back home because I still have my comic shop in, in Auburn. And <laughs> so I had guys I had some great friends that ran it for me, but I'd go home like every three weeks or so, like fly back on a Friday and 
early and, and come back on Monday morning or whatever and kind of catch up with the shop and see family and friends. But so I was supposed to be flying out that Friday morning and we got the notification that Marvel was going to be announcing this distribution thing. And the only way you could get in was if you were a comic book store owner. And I was a comic book store owner from Alabama, and but I had business cards. And so Steve Masarski, who was the head of the of Valiant at the time, was like, okay, you're not flying out. You're going to this meeting. Oh, and wow. So during the breaks, uh, I would have to run out to the payphone and call them and tell them what they were saying <laughs> about the, oh, the discount structure is this, and here's how it's going to work. And then I'd run back in for the next session. It was really crazy day. So I was there when... You know, one day everybody was going to go with Capital City distribution, and then the next day everybody was going with Diamond. So there was all that back and forth. And so I saw some r- crazy stuff that got a real bug for publishing, mostly because the guys that I worked with, uh, the editors and you know, all the people that worked at Valiant, we were all comic book fans for the most part. I mean, there was a handful of editors and stuff there that I don't think I'd ever read a comic until they got hired, but I mean, their books were the ones that weren't very good. But, but we would go down to like Jim Hanley's universe and every Wednesday, like we'd go eat lunch, we'd walk a couple of blocks and go to Jim Hanley's. And one of the first weeks I was there was when Stray Bullets number one came out. And all the guys at the, you know, that worked at Valiant were friends with David Lapham because he had been you know, one of the original Valiant artists. And so everybody was freaking out to get the book. And I went and picked it up and they were you know, telling me, oh, he did this on his own. And he drew the comic, you know, he has, you know, they packaged it, they hired the printer, they did the, all this stuff on their own. I'm like, you know, wow. I mean, this is a great, I mean, it's a black and white crime book, but it was a professional comic book. It wasn't like most indie books that I'd seen, you know, up until that time. And that really like, all right, this is something that if this guy can do it, and maybe I can help some of my artist friends do this because they're all these guys I got to know with guys in, you know, they were always bitching and moaning about, you know, all oh, we, you know, we have to do this. We got these deadlines. We want to do our own stuff, but there's, you know, it's just, you know, if you kind of miss that image, explosion initially you know it was harder to do these kind of things a little bit harder but anyway that opened up a lot of ideas for me and so once you know i left valiant and ended up getting out of the retail business sold my store and but i always knew i wanted to get back into comics and had put together something in the late 90s uh, that the market was just in such bad shape and then but i stayed in touch with all those guys and we always talked about it so over 2003, I was married and was about to have my first child. And I said, if I don't start doing this comic stuff now, I'll never start because it'll just be a rat race from here on out. So I put an idea like I wanted to get all my friends to work on the books. And I knew like, you know, if you're going to Brian and Cully and Adam Hughes, George's Gene T, those are some guys I was talking to. Like they were busy. They were all doing huge books. Right. So I'm like, if, if you just give me like two weeks and do a handful of pages, you know, can we work that out? So, well, if you give us a good idea, you know, we'll certainly consider it. So that's how the first book that I published was uh, The Ride. And it was a crime action anthology that I, so I could get all my friends to work on a book. That was basically it. That so is hook, awesome. <laughs> the hook was, you know, I didn't want to just do like anthologies typically fail because, you know, you've got one sci-fi story and you've got one action story or whatever. And then you've got like a Western you know, so if you've got this anthology book, your one story you might want to read, or there's one artist that you like, so you might want to pick it up. So I came up with the idea of the car just being the element that would always be consistent. There was this 1968 Camaro, and it was in every story. And so that just sort of, there was one thing grounded, and but you had a time period from, you know, the late 60s up till the present day or maybe a little slightly in the future that you could play with just that car had to be in it so 
out of that, you know, we got some great stories and Doug Wagner, who's we've been friends forever. And, and, you know, he, he at the time was wanting to get back into comics. He'd written a comic or two and around the time of the, of the crash in the, in the nineties, I think he was set to do a big series for Malibu that I think, you know, they canceled their, every book they were doing around that same time. So he had a little bad luck, but he wrote the first ride books for me and we've been working together ever since. And, you know, set that up at image, did that book. It did well. You know, I'd saved up enough money to do like two issues. So we did a two issue miniseries with four artists. They each did 11 pages. And then we did two more ride issues. I did Ron Mars, Chuck Dixon wrote some of the stories. Oh, wow. Chris Bruner, who's Rico Renzi actually did one of those stories back before anybody knew who they were, which is <laughs> Ron Mars wrote a great story for Chris and based off of a, a pinup that Chris had done that he showed me in his portfolio. And I had a JPEG of it and sent it to, to Ron. And I was like, this is the guy you want to work with him. And he's like, holy shit. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> Ron's a good dude too. I like Ron. Oh yeah. Ron is awesome. Uh, he's uh, su- I mean, you know, it, it's super nice. Like just to, to that he would, and he was one of the biggest names at the time. I mean, he was writing all these huge books. I knew Ron from from Valiant. He was doing EXO with with Bart Sears and Andy Smith at the time. So I knew him, but then he was friends with all the, the guys who were already working on the ride. So he and Chuck Dixon were, I think, at, oh God, CrossGen at the time. Yeah, yeah. Now, we announced the book at, at a show down in Orlando, that Megacon. So so a bunch of the CrossGen guys are there. They're all like, oh, can you know, can we do a story? So it's funny how all that just, it just sort of, once you get a little excitement around a project and other creators... We're talking about being excited about something then everybody wants to be in the party. So I was really lucky to be at the right place, right time. And, but yeah, so pub- published those books. And then we added, we brought body bags back, which was Jason Pearson's creator owned book that he had done through dark horse in the late nineties. I, I convinced him to do new body bag stories and those did really well. And we had just pure luck, got a deal to do Rosario Dawson's comic called the occult crimes task force. That was around, Maybe 2007, eight years after we just started getting going and, and her, the artist that was drawing the book was another guy from Atlanta and that I knew through uh, the guys, Jen guys and Heroes Con in Charlotte and met him and wanted to try to find something to do together. And Rosario's uncle was also an artist. So I got to know him. So it was just like this little synergy and I did her book and you know, I just helped them publish it. They, it was their book. I just put all the, you know, helped them put the publishing pieces together and, and get it together, took it to image. And uh, that book was huge. I mean, it was massive. And she went to the shows, the comic conventions with us for like two years. It did. I'm sure she was a huge draw too. I mean, she's pretty awesome. Yeah. There, there are worse things than having Rosario Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> she was coming off of Sin City and getting ready to film. I think maybe Sin City had just come out when that first book launched. Not, you know, it was not, too far apart. I know that I think the movie was already out. And then the next summer she was filming Grindhouse. And uh, so we were at San Diego and she's on the panel and gets us all, you know, front row seats. And, you know, it was a fun time. Like the the press was crazy. Like all the, you know, Comic-Con, all the, you know, E and G4, you had to get on the G4 show and, uh, you know, all that stuff. So it was a huge, you know, for us, I mean, it was obviously a much bigger deal for image because their name was, you know, their logos on the book. Ours was inside it kind of hidden, but you know, people noticed. So it was good for us. <laughs> and, and just, you know, started doing books. And then we, we got the license to the boondock saints around maybe 2009 and a crazy idea to do a book with Trace Adkins, the country singer. I was right? about to ask about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a funny story. I guess it was 
maybe a year or so beforehand and, and uh, it was another thing it was like a, a, a band uh coheed and cambria yeah yeah uh, so they the, the lead singer claudio sanchez had done some comics based around his albums and and they were looking to i guess they'd come out pure you know sporadically and you know have issues getting the books together so somebody approached me about it i guess it was david tishman who was helping claudio write the books and david had been in comics for, for a long while and so we met because of that book and so i helped put one of the miniseries together to sort of get them back on track and for a year we did like six books or something and those also came out through image and around that time i was you know i had gotten the the hollywood you know interest and in, you know william morris uh agency had started gathering up comic book publishers and trying to figure out a way to how do we transition these comic books you know into films that aren't marvel and dc books so that was sort of a thing and i said david tishman and we got to be friends we hit it off working on that coheed book and i told him i wanted to do a book like you know i'm from the south and i wanted to do a smart southern kind of you know billy jack or walking tall kind of a thing and i'm like yeah i just don't know that it would sell like i i love those kind of stories uh, it wasn't really, it wasn't like a hard eye toward Hollywood. It was just, that's the kind of story I wanted to do. I wanted this is to- pre-Southern Bastards, right? Oh yeah. Long before. Yeah. And, <laughs> and yeah, he said, well, you know, I, he said, I get it. You know, you know it's, it's going to be hard to, to sell a book like that. Cause it, what's the hook? You know, there's not, it's just not, it's, there's, you know, comic book stores aren't going to really embrace it unless you get a really big name, um, you know, on it. And he's like, you know, David's name was good, but it's not going to sell. 20,000 copies, you know, just ought to do a, you know, something like Roadhouse, you know? So, um, he's like, there's this guy named Trace Atkins. He's this country singer and, you know, he's does some, he's had some little movie roles and, you know, he's huge. Like, I think he had, you know, had some number one albums and uh, like honky donk, badonky donk, whatever song, huge. And, and when he first pitched the idea, I'm like, that's just the stupidest thing. I'd like, nobody would buy this. And he said, well, we did really good with that Coheed and Cambria book. They sold a ton of those on tour. And don't think about this as a comic book for comic book stores. I and mean, you sell it to the comic book stores. That's tour merch. It's tour merch. Yeah. So it was like, you know. That's awesome. I would have never thought about that. Yeah. He's like, so we'll do the first issue, you know, we'll sell them on tour. We'll do a you know tour variant and uh, we'll sell the one in the comic book shops for four bucks and sell them on tour for 10 or 15. And so we put a package together and I called Brian Stelfreeze, who you know, had been helping out with 12 gauge stuff and, and as a, kind of acting as a pseudo art director and uh, at the time. And so I called Brian up and I pitched him. He thought, yeah, it's crazy enough. It might work. And uh, so he said, I'll do the covers for you. I'm like, Oh, that's amazing. It's awesome. So he did this really badass, you know, Trace Atkins as the character Luke McBain. And uh, so David had come up with a story. And so we put the piece together when we reached out to his management up in Nashville, David flew down from New York and we went to pitch them. Matt and Cody Chamberlain was a guy was been trying to work with and he's from louisiana trace atkins was from louisiana so like this is the perfect guy to draw the book so uh cody did some character you know designs and, and we went in the meeting with trace and he walks in like you know we're on music row in nashville and uh like this seven foot tall giant you know like he literally had to duck his head <laughs> to get through the door uh of the office we were meeting in i was like man i hope this goes well because he's offended <laughs> but you know he was he loved it his manager a guy named ken leviton didn't know anything about comics but he said this is great you know i've got a guy that's really hot in country music and he's wanting to be a bigger person bigger brand 
I mean, a comic book, you know, it's that, that helps, you know, it's a good for business. It's expanding your brand. And so Trace's PR team got a hold of it. Uh, there was this one lady in particular that ran as PR and she was a real bulldog. And so she put the press releases out when the book, you know, was coming out and Trace was in LA just um, completely, we didn't plan it this way, but, you know, cause they do press stuff comes up late and he was going to be in LA for a couple of days for promoting something. And she said, Hey, would it help if uh, we booked him on the Craig Ferguson show to talk about the comic? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we sent, we FedExed uh, a box of books, like a big box of books out so that everybody in the audience would get a comic. And they did two segments where they talked about the comic. And there, you know, of course, Craig was making fun of him and getting, you know, what you have a magic ponytail or, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but that, that, that was on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night. I can't remember which one it was, but the next day, every copy, we'd send a huge overprint over, you know, uh, the orders weren't great on it. They were okay, but they weren't great by any stretch, but we sent a bunch extra and they did the book completely sold out the next day. Oh, uh, nice. So all these moms were, you know, uh, calling comic book stores and ordering the books. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and it, it, and it did, did great, did good on tour. So that was just a way of us expanding our brand and getting out. And, and that has paid off for me uh, multiple times. Just that book alone, different people. I've done other music industry books, not that didn't really come out in comic book stores, but we did a lot of merch for guys over the years. And you know, just help grow the company. So I've done some crazy stuff. I and mean, we did the Boondock Saints. And that's that's that those two books were when we stepped away from Image for a little while because they weren't they were kind of getting out of license stuff and yeah, country music singer book and this Boondock Saints thing, you know, they weren't really into. So that gave me an opportunity to, to try doing comics, you know, on our own. But the hard part well for us was we always want to do high quality books. I never wanted to be uh, the kind of publisher that would put out 15, 10, 15 books a month and three of them be garbage, you know, or that hiring an artist in Argentina for $15 a page to draw, you know, a book that looks like, you know, Star Trek license or whatever that, just yeah. money. you know, I didn't want to do that. And, and I didn't want to just publish whatever I could get my hands on that was cheap, you know, so, so our, you know, we, we put all our resources into a couple of books a year, you know, like two or three titles max, you know, four or five issues, typically five. And, and, and I, I work with good artists, but I have to give them time. You know, I can't hire a guy like, you know, Brian, you know, uh, to do a book and say, I need it in, you know, five issue miniseries, you got six months. You know, they come to work with me because they get to have fun and they get to kind of do their own thing. And there's not an editor breathing down their neck. So I give them more leeway and time. Like Loose Ends was one where uh, Chris Bruner took a couple of years, you know, to, to draw that book. But <laughs> it's one of the most amazing books. I, You know, when, at the end of the day, you know, when I'm done with all this, I'll still have that book and be able to show my grandkids, you know, hey, you know, this is the book. You know, this is one of the greatest books I've ever seen. And I was lucky enough to, to help get it published, you know? And then, yeah, so we did that for a few years. It was hard to break through. We would have some books that did really well. And then, you know, we might take three months of not having a book in the catalog and out of sight, out of mind is a very real thing. Plus diamond for some reason refused to list us in the catalog under 12, like the, you know, the number 12, 12 days oh, for real. They put us oh. as 12 T W E L V E. Uh, so yeah, com completely off brand and nobody else in the world list numbers like that, you know, but you can't get them to change their mind. I, I certainly tried. From <laughs> so it never hurts to be, in, it never helps to be in the back of the previous catalog, but yeah. So, you know, we were having trouble like getting traction on stuff. And I, I felt like I got really dejected 
I guess we did a, a really good, I, maybe this was around 2010, I guess. I mean, uh, 15, I guess. I, there was a, I did a ride thing, and it was one of the greatest ride. It was two 48-page books, and it was just loaded with talent. I mean, just absolutely loaded. And it didn't get any notice. I couldn't get press to cover it. It was really, really disheartening. So I was like, man, you know. What, you what do you do when that happens? Well, cry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean, it's really frustrating. I, we worked on that 48-page book for about a year and a half. You know, I mean, had guys oh, wow. like Andrew Robinson, Toby Cypress, Tom Coker, David Lapham, Rick Leonardi, Tom Rainey, Paul Azaceta. Just, I mean, on and on. It was just loaded. Yeah. Yeah, you had some huge creators on that. Yeah, and nobody saw it. You know, I mean, it sold a few thousand copies. It was just insane. And but that was a, a victim of us not having a book out for four months prior. You know, they hadn't done nothing in the catalog. So back in, I guess it was summer of 2016, and Doug Wagner and had pitched me Plastic maybe six months earlier. He and Daniel Hilliard, and I was going to do that book. And I was telling them, you know, first I didn't know anybody was going to buy it. I mean, it was. You know, if you don't know what plastic, the, it's a, you know, serial killer who I think we the pitch was a retired serial killer who met the love of his life online. And the because of her love for him, he no longer had the urge to kill because he didn't want to disappoint her. It just so happens that the girl he met online was the sex doll, that, the blow up doll that he ordered off the Internet. Um, <laughs> so, we didn't know it was a black comedy. That's action. It's like Taken meets Lars and the Real Girl. So we didn't know if anybody would buy it. But, uh, you know, Doug and, and Daniel, I mean, I trust the creators, right? And and they were pitching it to me and they were just so passionate about it. And it was just so crazy. Like, well, it's either going to work spectacularly or fail miserably. But I was afraid it was going to fail miserably. Like, who, who's going to buy this thing? We were probably going to do it as a graphic novel. And we had one or two other books that were coming along. And one of them was a pretty high profile uh, creator had had reached out and wanted to do something with us. And or wanted me to help him do his book. And uh, I was like, man, yeah, I, I just don't know that I can do you justice. I don't know that it's going to sell. So that was how we uh, I said, I'm going to call Eric Stevenson up and, you know, we're going to be in San Diego. Let's just see, you know, if uh, he'll have us back. I mean, it wasn't like we left on bad terms. You know, it was just sort of, you know, the time happened and we left and there was no hard feelings. But, you know, so we met and, and we pitched a couple of books and uh, that specific book. And he's like, yeah, look, I'd be happy to do it. That's great. And I think we were bringing loose ends back. Uh, Chris Bruner had finally finished that last issue. And we were going to reprint that. I offered that up, you know, to reissue that series and then finish it and then have Image do the trade and everything. And uh, so Eric was all into that uh, stuff. I told him, he's like, well, have you got anything else you're working on? And we said, well, this thing called Plastic. And I was like, here's where the meeting's about to go south, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he flipped for it and he's like, that's the most original thing I've heard in a very long time. I want to do this book. And so it was funny. We, were, we left the meeting like going, wow, we went in trying to get one book picked up. You know, we ended up getting, I think we had four things on our slate that we showed him and he picked them all up. And we kind of had our, and The Hard Place, which is another thing that Doug was, had written, which was a great little crime story. And like we weren't even planning on pitching that to him. But, you know, once we started talking and he picked up all the stuff and about a week or two later, and Eric's not a real communicative guy. Like you don't hear from Eric easily unless you've done something wrong. You know, you'll send like you get on the schedule and, and things start flowing. And usually if, I, if you get an email from Eric, it says you've missed, missed the deadline or missed something up. Yeah. So, <laughs> and he never calls. So he calls me and uh, he's like, you know, when can you get me more on plastic? And 
I said, well, you know, we've got the first issues pretty much done. I just need to finish lettering it. I said, well, can you, how soon can you get it to me? Uh, I need to show this to Kirkman. And I was like, oh man, you know, and I, asked, I was like, he's got something similar or he thinks it's awful or, you know, we're about to lose this. You know, we were also excited to get plastic published at image. And uh, so I didn't say anything. I, I called Doug. I'm like, man, I, I think it might be a problem. Like he's asking to read it, you know, and I'm like, oh, he's having second thoughts. And uh, so we sent him the book and I'm like, well, can I ask? You know, I sent the email, like, here's a link to download it. And I said, you know, is there a, maybe an issue? And he's like, no, I just told Robert about it. I was like, this, I, I, we had a post Comic-Con meeting and I, I said, the book I can't stop thinking about is this thing called Plastic. And Robert's like, oh my God, I got to read it. So he just wanted to read it. And I was all freaking out thinking we we're about to lose our, you know, our deal to have him publish it. And uh, that's how we uh, ended up. With, uh, Robert gave us a quote, you know, for the book. Yeah, for, for the listeners, this is the weirdest shit I've ever read. I love it. Robert Kirkman. So <laughs> yes. that that's a pretty high bar right there that you guys have set for that book. Yeah, we were, we were putting the previews ad together and I, you know, uh, I asked Eric, I was like, do you think Robert would give us a quote? And he's like, you know, he probably would because he loved the book. And he came back like 15 minutes later, he fired that quote over. And so we put that in the ad. And yeah, that, and that has ended up being, you know, with all the books we've done, and we had great success with, you know, the ride number one, those early ride issues, Gun Candy, um, obviously Rosario's book, Body Bags, all, and all sold really well. But Plastic has ended up being our top selling book ever. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah. And it's such a random idea is something that on paper just thinking about how comics usually work probably should not work but <laughs> if if you have the right people behind the project and uh push it like you guys have done oh my gosh yeah you know it, it, it you know i i come from a background where i wanted to get i, I didn't really i mean i wanted to do something creative and I just wasn't, you know, quite right. You know, I wanted to be an artist as a kid. wasn't good enough. I got a, you know, minor in art at college and just to take some art classes. But I, you know, I was, I knew I was never going to make it right. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll be a director. And at the time, you had to go to USC or NYU. You know, there weren't a lot of film schools, and unless you had, you know, getting in it from Alabama, are you kidding? It's almost impossible. You know, I mean, oh, I had yeah. good grades, but I, didn't have, I wasn't going to get into film school at USC. And uh, so the you know the comics worked out great as a way for me to you know, be involved. You know I've learned the business side, but then you know get to be part of the creative process just from just helping shepherd the projects or giving notes and you know, helping creators you know get their vision out there. And but the one thing that that you know always bugged me is when I would hear you know guys complaining about their editors like you know oh the editor tells you the story you're going to write and then he tells you how you've got you know some editors at the you know the big two I mean they just they really are writing the comics. They just don't know how to write the comics, right? Yeah. They control it. And they, you just see when they squeeze the life out of somebody, you know, like they're, you know, you get hired to do a, a daredevil story and daredevil never wears his costume because, you know, just stupid stuff like that. It gets driven by editorial for weird reasons. And so, yeah, I just like, you know, I want these guys, I want them to have fun. I want like, you, you see a movie like Pulp Fiction and you see, you know, which was huge around that time, formative years, I guess I'd say of you know, me being in college and stuff. And, you know, that's a creator that his vision is completely there. You know, I mean, sure. Yeah. I'm sure it was edited and there were some things that notes that were given, but uh, that's a creator's vision. No studio head's going to come up with that movie. You know, you're never going to get hired off of an idea that came out of an exec's office to do Pulp Fiction. So 
like try to give uh, creators the ability to do that. And so, you know, like I said, I just trusted Doug and and Daniel because I, you know, I knew they had an idea of what they wanted to do. You know, we could always still be wrong, but at least if it is people that you trust and they trust you to help them do the, to get it out there, then, you know, let them do their thing. And, you know, my philosophy as an editor is I jump in and just, if there's things I don't understand or plot holes that, that appear to me is, Hey, let's tighten this up. You know, I don't meddle with, with the guys, you know, other than little things here or there just to try to help them along the way. And I think that's where you get, that's how you get good stuff. I mean, some, some things fail, you know, but at least you've, it's, it's not because you've screwed up the creator's vision, you know? Yeah. And you guys have fairly consistently worked with creators that, that have quite a bit under their belt already in terms of pr- producing quality content and, you know, having, having a name for themselves in, in the field. It, it's, it's really exciting. And just, you don't get those people coming to a smaller publisher like, like you to kind of play in your sandbox unless they trust you and uh, know that you're not going to screw them over. So it, it seems like you've done a good job of, of presenting yourself and making, making your name uh, known to them so that they will come to you. Yeah. Well, it was really, you know, it was just you know, timing is so much, I mean, you know, the getting to know the guys, I mean, when I was had my shop in Auburn, I was an hour and 15 hour and 20 minutes from Gaijin studios. And just so happened that, you know, met Adam at a show that was in Atlanta. You know, the Dragon Con used to be a comic book show. And, you know, like the the downstairs floor was all comics and the upstairs stuff was all the fantasy world. And, um, you know, just met him and, and he was doing the show. And I didn't know I didn't even know who Cully Hamner was. He was drawing Green, Green Lantern Mosaic, but I wasn't really that wasn't on my Right, he was doing firearm or something. There was a book. I just, but I didn't know him. I didn't know he was in Gaijin, and that was really before the internet was huge. So you just didn't know all this stuff. And uh, Cully actually called and was like, "Hey, man, Adam's doing your signing, and and I'm from Alabama. Like, I'd love to come." I had like, no idea he was from Al- Alabama. Yeah, he's from Huntsville, and oh, cool. uh, yeah, so that's how. And so we, you know, lifelong friend because I had a comic book store that was close by, and it was an easy drive, and you know, but so meeting all those guys, and then. You know, knowing them as a retailer, there was a you know a, one kind of relationship, and then when you go to work for the Valiant, you know, then we're doing convention scene together and hanging out after shows and stuff, and you know know those guys, and and then working at Valiant also introduced me to a ton of other artists too, you know, and writers and colorists and just all kinds of people, and you know, so when I did the first book and called on my friends, and that was a stamp of approval from the the creative community, like when you have Adam Hughes draw your first cover and the arts by, you know, Cully Hamner and Brian Stelfreeze in the first issue. Like that may not mean a lot to your typical, you know, DC or Marvel fan that don't, doesn't care much about, you know, independent books, but to other creators who are fans of those guys and who know them, it was a stamp of approval for me, you know, right, right out of the gate. Like you can't get a better, you know, a stamp of approval from that. So when I went and approached people like to do the next issues, like we had two issues in that we were going to do for sure. And I went around and, you know, introduced myself. And I think I had like little notebooks that had a proposal for the ride. Like, you know, here's one page about this. And here's a couple of pages from the, from the book that we're putting out. And, 
it, I hadn't thought about that in years. But it was probably pretty cheesy, but it, it worked. So um, <laughs> I get a lot of emails and phone numbers that doing a couple of shows. And, you know, so that's how, how it all got going. And, but yeah, it was just, it was really just you know, trying to create a company that would be fun. I could work with my friends and then it grew into something a lot bigger. And, you know, obviously we'd love to, it's, you know, the big hit for one of these guys. And we, we, like Jason Pearson, we had body bags that sold. I helped put that deal together, you know, for film for that. And you know, I actually championed that book for years. I couldn't get anybody to, to touch it. And then because it was too violent and had a, a young teenage girl is the, you know, one of the stars, really the, the big star of the thing. And, and then Kick-Ass got made and we're like, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, we don't want to make it. It's too much like Kick-Ass. <laughs> like, oh my God. Um, yeah, you can't wait for losing sometimes. Yeah. It's people right. just in Hollywood, it seems like consistently not creative enough to, to see the forest for the trees. Oh yeah. It's a bizarre play. There's never been anything harder to, than to navigate that, that system. And, you know, but we did, we sold, sold body bags. We had, there's a, an absolutely fantastic movie script that's it's there and, and it's been optioned and there's a film company that's got it and you know we had attached a batista you know to star in oh, it nice yeah but you know that's just been a year and a half or so or longer now and it just it's hard to get all these pieces even when you have real film companies that want to make it it's still a you know a 40 million dollar action movie based off of a book that came out in 1996 and you know oh yeah yeah <laughs> well man I, w- I was talking to terry moore not long ago and his whole thing was like just please before i die just please let it happen because they've been talking about it for years just let it happen mm-hmm. and, then, and then like two weeks later i was talking to jeff smith and he was like it finally fucking happened <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like holy shit man and they drove that poor guy through the ringer in terms of basically taking his property hostage for the longest and not doing anything with it. Yes. And yeah. yeah that, that'd be rough. It's all. Yeah. We had him actually on our little podcast that we launched a few months back and he was telling us a story then. And it's just like, I remember when, you know, it got announced that Nickelodeon, I think it was Nickelodeon or Paramount. It was, you know, that. that yeah. Yeah. They had gotten it, and then years go by, and then it went to Warner Brothers. I was like, "Yes, this is going to be great—the Lord of the Rings version." Yeah, you know, they're going to get it. <laughs> and you know, the, and what he was telling us, it was the worst experience on earth ever. Did, did he tell you that they were planning on doing like in sync or somebody doing a song in the movie when Nickelodeon was doing it? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was that bad. So the internet would not have liked that. <laughs> No, <laughs> that's so awful. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this sounds like it. You know, it's going to be what the perfect version, which is they're going to do sort of like the Sin City version, where you just take the book and make it into the show. You know? Yeah, and it's such a perfect property to adapt for that too. Yeah, and his artwork is so fluid. It's like, oh yeah, of course. Yep, yep. I, I will binge that show for sure. Oh, oh yeah, I, I might. Wait on my kids to watch it with me, but probably not. I'm just like, y'all go to bed so I can watch this cartoon. <laughs> uh, such a great book. Uh, it's a great series. And, you know, Jeff Smith is the reason that the Y boom happened. You know, getting bone in with Scholastic all those years ago and getting it colored. And I mean, that's the, that is the event that, that is why so many people, you know, younger kids are reading, you know, books and why Scholastic is. <sighs> 
gotten into it. And you know, that's the next generation. So, oh yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's all thanks to him. So, do, do you mind if I ask you about a, one of your bosses at Valiant? No, please. Did you get to work with Jim Shooter, or was he there when you were there? No, Jim had. I came I in that man. post Jim era, where Bob Bob Layton had assumed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, I, I I met Jim, and he was running you know, Defiant. I think was the name of the company. Yes, our, yeah. Uh, uh, Warriors of Plasm, which uh, that's what David Lapham actually drew that book. I'm bringing him up a lot tonight. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I didn't get. I, I I met him once or twice, and but yeah, I, I didn't. I never worked for him. I remember that book in in particular. I think it had like a lawsuit put against it by Marvel because I don't know, like. Yeah, they had a book called. <laughs> yeah, they had a book called Plasm or something close, and they so they had to change the name. I God, I'd forgotten about that. I still own a comic book shop then, and the 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 solicitation title was just was something close. You know, I, I don't remember what it was, but they had to change the title after solicitation to Warriors of Plasm, which was Marvel and Zoom. I'd forgotten about that. So you've got a good memory, man. Uh, I was such. Uh, Wizard Magazine nerd when I was a kid. And like that was around that time, I think I was about in eighth grade. And I, I just would read the read those magazines like back to front, like several times over. Just, yeah, I, I loved stuff like that. Man. But <laughs> it, it was sort of like, you know, when there was four channels on television, if you could get in you know, if you if your ad, even like in the early nineties, uh, like if you had your ad for your movie that was opening on Friday, and if you got your if they if you got a good reception to your ad uh, that ran during Friends and Seinfeld and ER, you know, or whatever one of those shows on Thursday nights, uh, must see TV era, your movie was going to make like X amount of dollars. It was like guaranteed. Oh and, yeah. And Wizard Magazine was the same thing. Like if you could get in the top ten of Wizard Magazine's hot, you know, top ten books of the month comic book shops would go create people would come like lose their minds to to get whatever that book was that made the top 10 list and you were there during you know during valiant's heyday kind of yeah it was right after the real huge heyday but it was still big it was a big deal have you been kind of keeping tabs with it now because they seem to be uh on on the rise back again like they, they've got a lot of solid titles and really good creators on those books yeah, there was a, a Dinesh and his partner, you know, I forget his name. I met them at San Diego Con. They had you know, all the Valiant, you know, Valiant bought by a company called Acclaim. And when I went to work there, it was Acclaim Entertainment. They were a video game company. I think their biggest, they had done had something to do with Mortal Kombat. I don't know exactly what. That, yes. You know, yes. They, they had something to do with Mortal Kombat. And they were huge. And video games were really getting big. And, and so they bought Valiant. Because they would, they were mining IP, so it was pretty smart on their part. Like, let's go buy a comic book company, and here's one for sale. So they paid an insane amount of money, not knowing what they were buying, and but they did the Turok video game out of that deal, which was on Nintendo 64. is one of those classic, all-time huge, you know, iconic games. But yeah, so I went to work for them around that time, and they, they were putting a lot of money into the the company, and they went and poached a lot of talent from Marvel and DC. Like Dan Jurgens, Norm Bray Fogel, Butch Geis. At the time, I mean, they, was, they were grabbing guys off a of really big, you know, Superman. Really, a lot of the guys off of the Superman family. 
I think Butch and Dan and anyway, they were spent. That's where they got Bart Sears, Ron Mars. You know, they just grabbed all this, these guys. So when I first started, that was the new blood that was coming in. So it was really, it was changing quite a bit you know, when I got there, but the claim didn't know what they were doing. And they were throwing a whole lot of money at these guys and, you know, they were mercenaries. <laughs> it changed. I was there. Everybody kind of said, yeah, everything sort of changed, you know, after Jim left. I was about to say they, they had to be throwing some huge checks to those people to leave, you know, to leave soups and, you know, some of the big Cape comics at the time. Yeah. Uh, that is, that is wild. Yeah. Norm was drawing, you know, Batman. He was a top Batman artist. You know, Dan was the top Superman guy, you know, and Butch, you know, Jackson guys, he was drawing one of the Superman books, you know, all during that run of death of Superman. And I think some of the other names, but I know they brought in just a ton of talent. Uh, my, like my first, God, they even got Neil Adams was coming over to do. I think it was Neil. Oh, well, I think I remember that. Yeah, he was doing his own books, but like they were going to publish them through Valiant. Like he was doing his own, uh, whatever the name of his company was at that at the time. But yeah, it was a lot of exciting stuff. Uh, but what's the what's the biggest thing you learned there while you were at Valiant? I learned a lot of things that what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I learned. I will tell you the thing about it was the the editors. I got to be obviously. I mean, I'm in the office, right? So you're it's a lot of editors. There's the, there's the, the you know the business guys and and Valiant had a little bit of the the old Marvel feel. A lot of the artists would come in and draw, and they had a bullpen there. So Bernard Chang and Sean Chen, uh, who were two of their you know anchor guys that got to be good friends with them. And you see how the whole business works together. You know, guys working off each other. But the editors, kind of like what I'm talking about, with it was sort of the opposite there than what I kind of mentioned, like what you see in more Marvel and DC, where they where they don't let the creators do anything. It was the editors who were getting squeezed. Yeah, it was a strange dynamic. And so I knew, like, if you hire somebody to do a job for you uh, in the creative, you know, you need to let them do their job. If you don't trust them, then you shouldn't have hired them and you need to find somebody else. You know, you got to trust your your people. And uh, I think that was the biggest thing I learned from that, because there were a lot of good ideas. And one of those was Tony Bedard and a guy named Jesse Berdinka were two of the editors. And we were all obsessed with Preacher. That was a new book that was out at that time. And of course, I was a marketing guy, you know, but I, I wanted to help out. And um, so we were started talking about, I think they were looking to revamp Shadow Man. And we were all such big fans of Preacher. We're like, we should, you know, that's the guy. We should go get Garth Ennis to write Shadow Man. And then Tony showed me uh, Ghost Rider 2099 with Ashley Wood. And he's like, this guy, what do you think? I'm like, yes, you know, can you market these guys? I'm like, yeah, I can, you know, we can build a campaign around this. And Garth wasn't a big name. And Ashley certainly, I mean, he was kind of hot coming off that book. But, and then they were, then the other writer that they wanted was, I, this was not my, you know, I didn't have any input on that, but it was Warren Ellis. And so the idea was they pitched Garth and Warren were friends. So they pitched them both on, you know, Garth, you write, four issues, four or five issues. And then Warren, you'll write the next story arc. And, you know, Ashley is going to draw one of the, you know, the arcs and then we'll get it. I don't remember who the other arcs was going to be, or maybe Ashley was going to draw the whole thing. I can't remember. But the idea was going to be that, you know, they were going to set the whole thing up. So there'd be a cliffhanger and they weren't going to tell the other writer how to get out of it. So like, you know, Shadow Man would get thrown out of an airplane and it'd be like, Matt, all right, up to you. Cause he can't fly. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, they had this really cool thing going. And then, you know, the upper management people squashed it because it sucks. They didn't like it at all. They uh, hated Ashley Wood. That tells you all you need to know, like why the exec shouldn't be making these kind of decisions. They didn't like Ashley. They didn't understand Preacher. I remember one of the guys like saying, well, well, how does he have this power? Like, you know, his, his eyes turn, you know, you see when you're reading Preacher and his like eyes turn red and then they do what they, he tells them or whatever. I'm like, Oh, I, I totally missed that. Like, yeah, of course you did. But, <laughs> you know, so this, you know, like you had this great book that would have been monstrous. And I think that there was a lot of fighting that went on about it. And that was around the time too. I, I'd left, I could see the writing on the wall and my lease was up and it was a good time to get out. But then the, the, they sold you know, Valiant rebooted and brought Fabian in and to be the editor in chief. And I think they ended up publishing that shadow man. I guess Garth had done a handful of scripts, like maybe the first mini. And that I, I can't remember who drew the arcs. I know they weren't going to let Ashley draw it, at least when I was still there. But that's such a missed opportunity. That would have uh, been great. Yeah. His, his artwork is fantastic. Yeah. And I don't remember if he may have ended up drawing the book. I just, I was so frustrated then. I don't even know if I ever read it, but I think I, I know Garth's run came out, but he's like, you know, he wouldn't continue. He said, I turned in these scripts for, you know, Tony and Jesse and I was working on the project because of those guys, you know? Yeah. And so he didn't continue it on, but like that was yeah, a huge missed opportunity. So I guess what I, what I learned that, you know, you know, you just let people do their jobs and trust them. And, and if you find out, like if you've got the wrong person, then, you know, you need to make a change. You know, don't make somebody's life miserable uh, if you're not going to let them do their job. That, yeah, that totally makes sense. <laughs> so, so what are you guys doing now at, do you have anything upcoming at, at 12 gauge that, that we need to know about? Well, we did just launch our first Kickstarter with Brian Stelfreeze and Doug Wagner, and that's called Thomas River. And it, it went live about a week ago as we're recording this. So we're in, in, right towards the end of the first week. And we got funded in 24 hours. So very happy about that. And it's a it's a James Bond meets John Wick kind of a vibe. I mean, it's it is you know a little bit of Jason Bourne. I mean, it's a spy. He's a CIA agent, but this is not like a, any CIA spy kind of book that I think uh, has been. It's definitely not James Bond, and it's definitely not Mission Impossible. It's very grounded. It's a character, you know, and it's a black, you know, lead. I mean, it's, and that it was, you know, it's a character Brian created. And uh, we've been talking about it for years and he brought Doug in to, you know, help him flesh it out and write the story. And uh, Doug just, you know, did some amazing things. And so, yeah, the idea was that we can't just do black James Bond. You know, like that's not interesting to, to me or Brian or anybody, probably. I'm sure there's a lot of people that have tried that. So wh- what is this character? And uh, so, you know, developed it for a while. Brian and Doug have got like a three volumes, I guess I'd say, worth of stories. I know that like they've got this one's written completely. And then the, the next volume they've got plotted out. And uh, so Brian is, you know, he's not the fastest guy on earth. And, you know, from when we start, first started talking about it to when he actually started working about it was a good while. And uh, you know, what I do at 12 Gauge, I try to help out, you know, help artists get their books. Like, you know, images model is great, but not everybody can wait a year to get paid, you know, on a book. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So I try to help out, you know, and I'm not some like independently wealthy dude, you know, like I, I started 12 gauge with not a lot of money. I think I saved like seven grand over like a couple of years, you know, I put it aside, you know, instead of doing fun stuff, you know, <laughs> save I don't play golf. I don't hunt, you know, so in, in Alabama, you know, if you don't hunt or golf, you, you're pretty much, you, 
you know, an outcast anyway, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, so the whole business model is built on do the books and get, you know, try to make a little bit of money and get that money back and then do more books. And that's sort of the, the thing, you know, and some books really hit and, and we keep going. So, but, you know, like Brian, you know, he's a guy that he's a, you know, he's a big, you know, he's not a cheap artist and he's got expenses to pay. And so we started putting the book together and, and then this pandemic, you know, kind of hit and he was working on, he had done a handful of pages and then had picked up, I think he was doing a, a story for Marvel. Um, that had come up and uh, and that's the other thing. I mean, I let guys, if they come to me with a thing and they're like, you know, I want to do set aside two months to work on it. And then I'll probably take this other gig that I, you know, it's probably gonna be getting opportunities. I'm going to be gone for three months and I'll come back. You know, it's, it's some, you know, sometimes it's crazy how long it takes us to get projects out, but you know, you do what works for the guys that are bringing them to you, you know? But yeah, so the, he got told to put pencils down and he called me up. He's like, man, you know, I'm, I don't think uh, I want to, waste this time let's hit it full speed so it took a couple months but you know we got the first issue done and you know there for a while comic book stores were closed you know diamond was shut down and you know we have a couple other series that are in the queue that are close to being finished and like you know like just for instance kill whitey donovan which is a book we put out with dark horse last year the trade was supposed to come out in august and because of the pandemic it got pushed all the way into february oh that's a Yes. And and it was so disappointing because that book had gotten rave reviews and the first issue sold out immediately. And we had all that momentum building. And this is a book that really is a really nice read, you know, like sit down and read the whole thing. And and we had built it all up to the momentum of putting the book out. And now you're like, man, will anybody remember, you know, (laughs) this thing? You know, it's got such good reviews and it's, you know, it's a great little book. But, you know, so yeah, everything's kind of on hold and, and in limbo. And then, you know, Brian started asking, he's like, well, when do you think this can come out? I'm like, well, you got to get at least, you know, the original way we were doing it was just four monthly books. And the first one was going to be a little heftier, but, you know, four monthly books. And you, know, you got to get at least three of them in the can. And then we started looking at, you know, how long it was going to take to actually get the book out. And we didn't know when it would actually get published. So, you know, Doug has been a Kickstarter fan forever. And he is always back and stuff and saying, hey, we need to do a Kickstarter, we need to do a Kickstarter. And I'm always like, nah, it doesn't make sense for us. And so he, once again, I guess maybe even before then, earlier in the year, we'd started talking about, we should probably do one. So anyway, that's how we came about, you know, pitched it to Brian. And Doug and I got on the phone, like, you know, here's an option. We can do this first one and you know, put it out Kickstarter. And if it works, you know, we can do the other one, do another one Kickstarter and we'll have the money that will come in and that will take a lot of pressure off of me and also off of Brian. And, you know, just like, all right, we got some money coming in and it makes it easier to do the next one. So we've kind of reformatted it. We're probably gonna do three giant issues instead of four traditional books. But, you know, we're going to see how the, the Kickstarter goes. I mean, we got funded. So like our base needs are oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're taken care of. And, and the book, the, the one other thing that was important to me, too, was that we wanted the book to be finished. You know, we we, were, we didn't want to press go on the campaign until Brian had finished ink in the last page. You know, so everything's done. And it's a 40 page book. Out of the 40 pages, I think there's only one page that Brian didn't touch with, you know, with art. So it's a big book, uh, you know, Stelfree's art, and it's all, you know, cool action and a great character. And, you know, it sets up a really, you know, it's not what you think. The whole, it, there's a, it's kind of like there's a terrorist attack and 
and he's the guy that's got to figure it all out. And, you know, it's, but it's just, I, I keep telling people, it's not what you think it is. And even after you read the first issue, you're going to think a lot of things. And some people are going to be mad at the story that we're telling. But I'm like, I hope that these are Brian Stelfreeze fans and hopefully people that appreciate, you know, this kind of story. Cause if you're going to go pay 10 bucks for a PDF or 20 bucks for a, a comic, you probably need to be, you know, you've got to appreciate what you're buying. Right. So, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I think, so I think we'll have an audience that will get it and then and we'll figure out, you know, it'll definitely be out in comic book stores. It's, I just can't tell you when, and I can't tell you the format because we're really playing it by ear. You know, uh, we're not doing it to, uh, as a, any kind of a statement against the direct market. Cause we all love the direct market. And, and, you know, I mean, we've had a ton of hits in the direct market and I mean, I was a comic book store owner, you know, I get it, but everything's, you know, every project's different and times change. And, you know, we don't do books that are necessarily, you know, stuff that any retailer can look at and say, man, wow, that guy, the, the serial killer in the sex doll book, I'm going to sell a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that seems like something that the audience needs needs to come to themselves rather than, then you send it out to, to the audience. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so this, you know, like I said, we're just, it's an experiment and we'll see. I mean, we may put out, you know, we may put it out in comic book stores just as a regular book, you know, without all the bells and whistles because we're putting sketches and layouts and, you know, all kinds of cool stuff with stretch goals. I mean, to make it bigger, we're going to add a lot of extra stuff that would be exclusive to the Kickstarters. And, you know, certainly at, at some point it will be, at a minimum, it will be a graphic novel and put, you know, a, the trade will come out in bookstores and comic shops. And, but yeah, I mean, you know, we're like everybody else. I mean, it, nobody was counting on a 12 gauge book to pay their rent. Right. I mean, we're not taking like, I'll, I'll never forget when I was a teenager and Teen Titans was my favorite book. This is my maybe seventh grade, you know, and Teen Titans, the George Perez, you know, run Wolfman and Perez. And they took the book out of the bookstores. You couldn't get it at the, you know, the places where the newsstand distribution was. They took it off and they said, we're going to start the direct market. And to do that, we're going to take our top selling book. You know, DC took their top selling book and you could only get it at a comic book store. Well, that really sucked for me because there were no comic book stores yeah. where I lived. You know, I not was a spinner rack kid. What was that? I was a spinner rack kid for the spinner, most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just screwed. My parents weren't going to drive me downtown Birmingham to look for a comic book shop. <laughs> you know, give me a break. <laughs> so yeah, we're not, but we're not trying to take anything away. We're not trying to hurt any retailers. It's nothing about that. It's not against diamond. It's, it's just a, you know, this is a thing that we had a book and Brian was working on it and what's the best way to get it out quickly. So here, instead of us waiting to finish, you know, the, the whole story, we're going to put this first book out. And now that first one's funded and, Brian, he did a cover and a lithograph, like a, a, a variant cover and a lithograph that we announced today. And you know, he, he's done with everything. So like, we're literally, he's got a, we did a tier where you can get drawn into the book. So those of all souls, we're just waiting on like oh, photos nice. to come in. Yeah. So he's got to, he's got to go in and, and change some characters. Uh, but other than that, the sucker's done. So we'll how, how long did it take you guys to completely fund? Cause you still have 22 days left. We funded in a day, uh, like oh. 22 hours. And I, we, it was really weird because we were, I mean, we had a ton of press. We got a lot of great press around the launch. And so that was huge. Brian's not a big social media guy, you know? So he's like one of those dudes that like, what is Twitter? You know? So, yeah. um, you know, he's got a good following on Instagram and he's got a good following on Twitter, but like, you know, he's not active and participating and something I've been trying to get him to do more. But uh, so we don't have that built in like 50,000 followers that, you know, that a guy like his 
stature should definitely have probably a lot more than that. So we didn't have that easy, you know, group to lean on. So we didn't really know. And it's our first Kickstarter. So if you don't really get into weeds, you probably don't know what 12 gauge is. You know, like, you know, a lot of people know our books, but have no clue that even though our credit and our logo is in, in the inside front cover, that does, they, people don't register what that is. You know, they're just reading the book, you know, and I don't blame them. I, I don't probably look at that either. So, so we were kind of going into it blind. So we set our funding goal. I said a little bit low, like what's the lowest number? that would allow us to still put this book out, you know, but we got funded in, I think it was like 22 hours and that was wild. It was great. I mean, it's like, we're all excited. Like, all right, we, we're definitely getting this book out, but it gave a lot of people, I think a lot of people exhaled. Like, okay. They're funded. So we're cool. Like we're not, you know, we don't, we're not seeing that continued um, momentum as fast as, as we were for that first 20, you know, 22 hours or so. But I know like, Kickstarter, they say it's sort of like a bathtub. You have the, you have the spike and then you fall into the water and you float to the other end and you get a spike at the end like about three days before you close out. So we're yeah, just that's a hard dip right in the middle. It sucks so bad. It does. Yeah. And, and one of the things that Brian wanted to do and he put more work on himself, but we were just talking about well, how could we get excitement around it? And he's like, well, what if I did, you know, what if we did a little short story that we put out like a comic strip, you know, like the newspaper strips, you know, like, like one stretch panel, like two or three panels in it. And we just do that every day. So we actually launched that. And that was something that obviously slowed down the the Kickstarter coming out because it ended up being five extra pages when all was said and done. Oh, cool. But it's a nice little prequel story that sets up the character. And so that started yesterday. So that will run for like 20 straight days of, you know, a daily, you know, like a newspaper strip. But it, I mean, it's one story. It's and just where, do you, where do you find that at? Oh, that is, well, it's on all our socials. Just if you go to at 12 gauge comics on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, you know, we'll have it posted there. Brian's got it on his Instagram page and Twitter, Facebook, and all that stuff too, I think. And and also on our Kickstarter page, where if you go down, if you do our Kickstarter, and it's easy to find, I know some people have trouble finding the Kickstarter. So we actually registered thomas-river.com. There's actually, I tried to get Thomas River, but there is actually a river named the Thomas River that some guy got the web domain back in like the 80s. And there's like one little page, it's like thomasriver.com. And it's like some guy built it on his Commodore 64. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. So if you can go to thomas-river.com, it'll take you straight to the Kickstarter page or just go to Kickstarter. And I'm sure if you search Thomas River, it'll pull up. But And so, and we're posting them there. Like if you go into the story section, and just scroll through all the rewards. We're putting the panels in there every day. But yeah, so I would, we'd love for people to go find it on Twitter and stuff and retweet that and help us get exposure there too. But yeah, so we've got, I think there's three days worth of, we, we did two the first day. We did a little double shots. So we've got first three panels uh, are out. And yeah, so it's, that's a lot of fun. And that's something different. And we hope that will kind of build momentum. Like I told the guys of the day, I'm like, we're in that bathtub phase. We're in the water. So let's try to put a little more water in the bathtub. Let's get some more water in there. So hopefully this will build and, and we'll help get uh, you know, a little more growth as we go. But yeah, we're certainly very happy. Like to, to get funded right away is great. And yeah, that's, you know, that's amazing. And that was the kick for like, you know, now Brian still start working on the next book, you know, and, and it's fun too. Cause like I've known him forever and you know, he like, he was so excited about, you know, obviously Black Panther and, you know, there's been different projects over the years, but like I've never seen him so energetic and just like he believes in this character and believes in the story and like, you know, everything is exactly the way he wants it. Like he's never 
had so much fun, I don't think, in his career. So I hope that people embrace it. And, you know, I get, like I said, I understand it, it, it's expensive when you do the Kickstarters and, you know, your print runs are smaller and, and you're trying to do a nicer stuff. Like, like for us, we're known for our quality with our printing and design and all that. So we, you know, this is going to hopefully our first big stretch goals is a couple of thousand away and we're going to add eight pages and, you know, we want to add spot UV and perfect bound and, you know, 10 point cover stock and all that good stuff. If it will keep, if it keeps growing and then we're giving away, you know, some other cool stuff too. We've got, you know, digital books and just a lot of little goodies that, you know, that we're going to be throwing out as the Kickstarter goes. So, you know, it's fun. It's a learning process and I never thought it would be this hard. Like it's constant. Like it's just, you're having to, you know, set up articles. It's like for, usually for comics, you set up press around the announcement and then like a little bit of press when it hits comic shops, you know, and here's yeah. every day you've got to be trying to get something going. You got to be sharing on socials. You like Brian and, and Doug have done so many, you know, interviews and like, they're all the answers are running together at this point. Cause it's been like two weeks <laughs> of uh, interviews and, but you know, it's, it's fun. I mean, you know, I didn't sleep for about three days or right around the launch of it, but you know, it's good. It, hopefully it'll pay off and, and it has so far. And, and it will be fun for us. Like, you know, it will allow us, to do more books. Like that's the great, like for me, I'm like, you know, I'm always very budgetary, you know, conscious, I guess you could say. And it's fun. It's like, I've had people, I've had guys reaching out already, guys and girls in the industry, like, Hey, you know, this is awesome. And I don't know how to do this. And could you help me do like what you're doing with Brian? And like, you know, if this one does well and the next one does well, then yes, you know, that, that would be fun for us to, to be able to, you know, bring in, help more people do books. And you know, it, it, Kickstarter used to be a, a little bit easier. I think you know, people would, could kind of just throw their things up and, you know, get noticed maybe and make a couple of grand and get a little money for you, a little money to get the printing done. And now it's, there's so, there's a lot more competition. There's a science to it now too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's totally so much that goes into it. We're planning on doing a Kickstarter soon, as soon as the, the book we, we have is completely illustrated and everything. It's a, it's a book I wrote and my artist is adamant that, you know, everything be completed, you know, done before we even press, you know, press send on the, the application for the Kickstarter. So I'm nervous about being nervous for the Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I think if you, what you're saying is I mean, that certainly was our philosophy. And I think that, you know, there's two kinds of projects. There's some that where you've got some concept art. And an artist is like, look, I've got to have your help to do this book, you know, and you're not going to get it for a year, but you're, you know, you're going to make it happen. And that's, I think, kind of what Kickstarter was created for. And, you know, but for us, since we, you know, like I can't fund two volumes of a, you know, I can't fund a still freeze thing for, uh, you know, I don't have limited, unlimited resources and wait for it to all come together. Like it's get the ball rolling. That's kind of my job. You know, and here it allows us to, you know, to do that. And we get the ball rolling, we put the first book out and then, you know, that will, you know, get that money back and you do the next one and then hopefully make a little bit more, whatever. Obviously, you know, Doug and Brian need to be able to make money off of it. And, you know, and now they can. And it's like, man, it's great because like for me, it's, you know, watching your kid 
ride off in their car, you know, for the first time, you know, you are going off to college, you're like, yes, they made it. You know, I helped them, you know, and that's kind of what it's like for me, like help get them there and and get it over the line a little bit and just, you know, help them on the stuff that they didn't know how to do or didn't have time to do. Like, you know, that's what I think Brian, we did, we had a great video that we've got put together through a friend of Brian's came in and, and just made this kick-ass Kickstarter video. Like, even if you don't like, uh, uh, don't want to buy the book. I said, go watch the comic or go watch the video because that's pretty damn awesome. Uh, <laughs> but one of the lines is, you know, that's why we reached out to Twelve Gauge that they could kind of do this stuff while we were creating the book. And so I've I've been working with uh, my buddy Sean on the campaign, and he's done one before, and and uh, he lined up all this awesome press for us. And but yeah, God, I had no idea how much work went into it. Like people always say that, but it is so true, <laughs> and then they understate it. But, you know, for, you get the book done, like what you're doing. And I think that goes a long way. People are have faith that, that the book's going to come out in a timely fashion. And for us, it's, you know, when the campaign's over, and we'll get the surveys filled out. And, you know, it won't be long. We'll have a, a PDF in your inbox, you know, really quickly. Book's going to be off to the printer, uh, maybe even before we're done. You know, we'll have a good idea of what the print run needs to be. And, uh, you know, yeah. So hopefully our goal is to have the, the printed book in everybody's hands, you know, by the end of December. So. Um, oh, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. yeah. If not sooner, like, I mean, it, the printer that we're working with is going to print overseas and uh, we were going to do it here local, but we ended up hooking up with a great printer and, and they've got a 31 day turnaround, like from the minute. Oh, wow. Yeah. If it's just, if we get all our pre-press done while the Kickstarter is winding down, and, and which is not going to be a problem. My designer, uh, a lady named Sasha. Uh, yeah, Sasha. she's she has some really good cred. Oh god, yeah, she's great. So I met her through at Image. She did. She was doing the Image Plus, all the design on Image Plus magazine, which was just amazing. And Sean, that's how I met Sean Edgar too. So like, I've got those are two former, uh, you know, Image expats, I guess you'd say, and it went out, you know, did on their their own thing. And and so she's designing the book, and she designed everything on our Kickstarter campaign, and it's all awesome just a joy to work with and so we'll you know now that we're, we're kind of i just keep throwing her stuff every day like she's like ready to probably work on the book and i'm like oh can you do this new slide and what about what if we do this you know so but yes that's gonna be fun the book's gonna look badass and you know we're really close to to getting all that it's, it's kind of kind of crazy we're three weeks away the first week's on our belt and you know i still have no idea how this thing's gonna end i mean the, the first day when we were making like you know a thousand dollars uh an hour i was like holy shit dude like oh, wow be able to fund you know the next year's slate of books <laughs> but it didn't quite work out that way like scott snyder and tony daniel had the like the most amazing run i think they ended up crossing two hundred thousand. like wow that's insane but then he's using it to you know same you know like he's funding a bunch of new projects with it and i think you know yeah so kickstarter is a great tool i know there's been a little bit of backlash against the keanu reeves thing that boom's doing but i totally get why they're doing it I, I thought people were getting upset for no reason and i'm a huge kent fan matt kent is amazing okay. anyway but it it seemed to me like the idea was like we're going to get this out to people who know me from the movies and who probably have never fit, set foot in a comic shop in their lives yeah yes and that, that, so, that that's a huge you know they've brought a lot of eyeballs to boom obviously uh people who have no clue what boom studios is and then yeah you know, that would never read a comic book other than you know and we saw that with rosario i'm mean, obviously keanu reeves is one of the biggest stars in the world a different level but you know we had when we did rosario's book you know and, and online stuff wasn't as big like, there were no digital comics for sale 
you know, for instance, like if she would have had Twitter and digital comics, like they could have sold, I, there's no telling how many, like, you know, like, Hey, here's a link to download my book, you know, for two bucks or five bucks or whatever you wanted to charge. You know, that wasn't available to us back in, you know, 07, 08. And, uh, but for Keanu, like, you know, he's bringing eyeballs and people are going to read his comic and what if they like it? You know, now they're going to go to Boom Studios website because I'm sure that's going to be all in the book. Right. So, you know, they're going to see what else is out there that might interest them. And, you know, they're going to see what Matt Kent, what else he writes. You know, they're going to look up for Ron Garney. And that guy's, geez, his, you know, he's a legend. You know, he's got some amazing run of books. And uh, yes, this, that's good for the industry. You know, that kind of stuff is never hurts you know especially if they follow it up and they're doing 12 issues that's a big you know that's a big run obviously with keanu it's going to do really well yeah and i'm sure it's going to be a good you just look at the creators involved you know it's not oh yeah you know so yeah i think it's i I think people that are mad it's more like i think it's fear like hey we were doing kickstarter it's our own thing it's not going to hurt you people that are coming to buy keanu reeves book we're not going to buy your little you know indie project you know, this is not the same audience. So that, that there's, that, that there's not a crossover. You know, that Venn diagram doesn't really probably intersect at all. More like us, you know, the books that we do very much are in that space. And But the way I see it is, you know, we're riding the wave that Boom and, and Keanu Reeves have just left us. You know, we're hoping to hop on. <laughs> you know, hope we'll get some, hopefully, you know, as that thing closes, and I haven't looked at it. I've been so busy this last week. I, I don't even know what it's at yet. I think last time I looked, it was oh, oh around eight hundred thousand. Oh man, um, yeah, that is just inconceivable to me. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm hoping that you know that you know Kickstarter will recommend us to all those buyers since it's a uh, you know it's an action space and you know, action adventure thing, and and maybe there'll be some crossover there that that will pick up some people. In fact, I I need to send an email to. Uh, Ross and ask him to <laughs> spread the love uh, a little bit, but you know, and the guys at uh, Scott Snyder and Tony, you know, they did a, a little PR blast for us to their backers, and that was a oh, big, cool. you know. So we, you know, that's it's a cool community, it really is. Like we're learning, and I mean, I've backed to a handful of Kickstarters, you know, dozen or so. A lot of it just me not being as aware of the, you know, as into the the what all kinds of great books were actually on Kickstarter. I, I should have been paying more attention because like once you start digging around, you're like, man, I missed out on some great stuff, you know, but you know, a huge ton of indie comic creators on Kickstarter that pretty much do exclusively through Kickstarter. And it's unlike anything you would get at a direct market shop, you know, at a comic shop or anything. And it's, it, it's a whole different ball game. And uh, some really fantastic stuff coming out. So don't sleep on the Kickstarter comics, man. They, they there's some really fantastic things coming out. Yeah, it, it's really cool. I and mean, I, I, and like I, I just say that the more the merrier. And I think, um, you know, I could be wrong, but I, I, I see Kickstarter, Indiegogo. We haven't tried that at all, but you know, these platforms helping people do their books and create, you know, their stories and characters that wouldn't get told otherwise. Like there's nothing bad from that. And it's just, a, it's just, a, I think it's a different audience. It's like digital. Yes. Some people, you know, but that may hurt back issues. I, I haven't really talked to, you know, a lot of retailers about it. I mean, I see crazy numbers on a lot of these, you know, 9.8 books that are slab that collectors still want them. But, you know, for the casual guy, 
that's not going to go in and look for back issues or try to find what trade is what or whatever. It's, you know, digital stuff makes it a little bit easier, you know, keep it on your iPad instead of having to, you know, carry a bunch of thick books, you know, on into the airport or whatever. Just a different audience. You know, I think that the main thing is for comic shop owners is get the good, they get content, they get access to it. And what they get is, is something that's different than what you do on Kickstarter. Right. I mean, I don't think anybody would, would expect comic book shop owners to sell, you know, 10 and $20, 48 page books. I mean, maybe yeah. more uh, <laughs> I think some of their books cost that much money, but not guys like me, you know, we would, we could never make it. So, you know, but hopefully this will help us put more good books into the comic book stores. That's certainly the end game. We don't want to just to be a Kickstarter thing. Um, I hear you. Yeah. Well, is, is there anything else you want to say be- before we start heading out, man? I, I just apologize for talking so long. I just realized. Dude, I've, I've enjoyed talking to you. I, I want to remind people, I, I, f- I forgot to mention this earlier. You have the Shot by Shot podcast, and that's super fun. Look it up as Shot X Shot on the search thing yeah. on uh, Apple, Apple Podcast. Yeah, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And uh, yeah, it's Brian Stelfreeze is sort of the, you know, it's his show. Sean Edgar and I had the idea of kind of doing the podcast. And at first we were like, well, what would we do? And, you know, just to kind of talk about our books or interview some of our creators and like, well, yeah, but everybody does that, you know, that's kind of boring. And, and then you don't want it to turn into a PR thing. So it, I talked to Brian about it and he's like, well, you know, I said, I'd love to have you on every so often because you're just such, you know, like he's amazing to just listen to. Like he's so knowledgeable of art and comic art specifically, obviously, you know, and just a great guy to, to have on. And as we kind of fleshed out the idea, we wanted to talk about the shot by shot came from, we'll talk about our favorite shots and in, in our favorite comics as an artist, you know, what were the the panels that influenced you? And then also in, you know, in film, in TV, we've talked a little TV and then bring on comic creators and, you know, we're going to stretch our wings a little bit more, but, and then we, you know, Sean and I do shots. A lot of the guests do. Brian is more of a espresso and tea guy. He doesn't drink a lot of alcohol. So <laughs> kind of make fun of his drinks every week, but yeah, you know, for me, it's a great excuse to sit like what, what we're doing tonight. And we, but Brian, and it's some of these conversations are so in depth and crazy of just, he, and when artists start talking shop, like Sean, and I just kind of get out of the way, you know, and and let let them do their thing. We just uh, and we've had a, a great run of guests so far, and and so if you're really interested in the art side of it, in the process, I guess you guys, it's it's more about the process and what what writers and uh, and artists go through. We've had Jeff Smith and Mark Wade, Greg Rucka, Kelly Hamner. We just had Caitlin Yarsky. Her first episode just dropped. Uh, I, I talked to her not long ago. She was super cool. Super cool. Yeah. Uh, really great show. And yeah, I mean, they've all been a lot of fun and you know, we're putting, we're usually doing like an hour and a half and split it into two episodes. One, you know, so, you know, we've got one drops one week and one the, the following and uh, we're eventually going to put it on YouTube too, as a, you know, like just one single episode per guest, but we haven't got around to that, especially with this Kickstarter going on. And then I've got a cool guest. I don't know when this is going to air, but after Caitlin, Frank Quitely is going to be on. So we oh, just, cool. We just did that one Saturday and uh, that was our first morning kind of morning early podcast because of the time difference. So anyway, yeah, that was a really cool one and, and learned a lot about, I mean, I've been a big fan of his since you know, forever. And uh, we were talking about doing variant covers for Brian's book and we kind of made a wish list of like 10 names and Frank was one of those at the top. And 
I have no connection to him. I've never met him. And, and Doug or Brian was like, oh, yeah, I know him. We were over at the show with, uh, in Scotland and he took us around and showed us the town. And, you know, he's great. He, he loves to talk too. He tells great stories. So we'll ask him to do a, or the, the, the thing was first was that, yeah, we'll get him asking him to do a cover. Well, I didn't know that he didn't do covers for anybody. He only, he never does variant covers, but because Brian asked, he did one. And, uh, and then, so we were coordinating all that. And I'm like, Hey, you know, we got this little podcast that Brian does. He's like, Oh yeah, sure. So who knew uh, that all came out of, of the Thomas river thing. And, so yeah, if you're a fan of my gosh, what has he not done? I, I definitely highly recommend you checking that one out because it was a good episode. Dude, I look forward to it, man. So you guys all um, should be looking for the Thomas River Kickstarter. And you can go there, thomas-river.com. That's it. Yep. And take you right to that Kickstarter. And, and also we have the Shot by Shot podcast. And man, I can't wait to hear this podcast. I haven't been able to check it out yet. I'm super stoked to check it out, though. Well, and no, it will not be me talking. Like I, this was, I never go on a tear like this. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's mostly Brian, and it's much more interesting than me. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, don't cut yourself short because man, I've really enjoyed talking to you tonight, D- guys. Kevin Gardner, thank you again for coming on. And man, I can't wait to see what else uh, 12 gauge is going to be putting out. So yeah, we do have some cool stuff. I wish I could say more of it. I will tell you that Doug Wagner, if you're, if you are a fan of plastic and if you like Thomas river, we've got two cool projects that, that will definitely be out next year. You know, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I think Doug was pushing towards Kickstarter anyway. So this is going pretty well. So we may, you know, uh, look at, at, at those, at least one of those that way. And the other one is huge. Like it's going to be really big. So he's got a couple of big books at, on getting close. And we've got other couple of little things that are kicking around too. So yeah, next year should, should be a, a lot of content for us and, and good stuff. Plus the Kill Whitey Donovan, I'll give one quick plug for that, uh, but you can pre-order that now. The the trade and the digitals are out, but it's a, it's a civil war set, female driven civil war story. And also written by uh, Sydney Duncan, who's also uh, a native Alabama. I, I follow her on Twitter and a super cool person and super freaking talented. So, yes, exactly. Yeah, you, you guys are killing it with, with the comics and getting that talent in. Man, anytime you want to come back on, hit me up because I like talking comics with you, man. I, I, yeah, really appreciate you asking, and thanks so much for having me and let me ramble on. And yeah, I will I will come on anytime. It gives me an excuse to talk about books. And now that the history of Twelve Gauge is out of the way, we can talk about other stuff. <laughs> so. <laughs> Sounds good, man. All right, everybody, Kevin Gardner, thank you again, and good luck on the next twenty two days of your Kickstarter, man. Hopefully, that slump isn't it isn't so hard to take now that you know that it's, it's good to go. <laughs> yeah. Once that was explained to me, I'm like, okay, I don't feel so, I, I get it now. You know, so. <laughs> well, thanks again for having me. And, uh, All right, take it easy, brother. And we're back. Oh, you got it. Beat Damn you. it. I was breathing. I heard you your breath going in. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I was about to get it. So what do you think? What do you think of, of Kevin and Casey's uh, conversation? I think it's funny that Kevin and Casey are from the same state. And now they're going to go get a beer. And I'll be honest. 
it's just two good old Southern boys <laughs> having fun. And you know, it's funny when you when you meet Casey or you see Casey and you talk with him, if you just looked at him, he looks like a he's gonna get mad at me for this, but he looks like a <laughs> prototypical southerner. Right? He does. With the baseball cap and the little oversized glasses and you know Sometimes he's in shape and sometimes he's not. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and he's got the accent, which is a wonderful accent. The but then you meet draw. him, you talk to him. Yeah. And he's such a liberal progressive and he yeah. believes in human rights and he won't hear anything about racism or, you know, he'll call you out on shit. You know what I mean? On on everything. Yeah. 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 And so it's. It's funny to, it's not funny, it's refreshing, that's the word, to see uh, somebody that is raging against the stereotypical Southern man that people know today, or think they right. know today. Right, well, even, even even that, what people think they know isn't actually what people, Southerners really are, but it's it's funny, because you see that, you have this notion in your head because of everything you see, but then Casey's so much, Yeah. he's so left-wing, he's what so you've been taught so, through media. Yeah, exactly, what you've been taught. So interesting times, interesting things. Um, I think it's, uh, I, it was a lot of fun. It, it yeah. does make me want to go check out Kevin's Kickstarter and yeah. see what I can do. And you should go check out his Kickstarter. And if you love it, buy it. You know, get on one of those awards. Yeah. Uh, if you can't afford it, but you still love it, man, share it out. It helps to get the name out so other people can check it out. And maybe they'll buy in at an option of five dollars ten dollars whatever it is whatever it is yeah share it out sharing it helps so much so go share it out go back it you'll love it i swear there you go all right i think that's a show that's a show man all right man well if you guys enjoyed that i say this all the time you know what i'm gonna keep it short go to spoilerverse.com spoilerverse.com check out our back issues it's all free yep and go to the store and buy something help us out i'll keep it short too there you go. All right, I think that's it. That's all that's I have it, in man. me, man. I got, that's, that's all I got. I, I got nothing left. Yeah, we the got one thing, thing I left. Got le- I got one thing left. I got a little bit to give. Yeah, what's that? In the oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open your mind. Boop, boop. Get the passport. No, read more. <laughs> <laughs> boop, boop.